Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uessa. And this is Daniel Winter coming to you from the, the short end of the weekend. So hopefully a lot of games ahead of us. But uh, how, how are you doing, Mark? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Just got through, you know, pretty condensed week of work you know, as a result of the long weekend that yes. was passed. <laughs> always happens, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's been a bit of a blur, uh, a bit of a rough couple of weeks for various reasons that I, w- I won't get into, but I wasn't able to get to my big uh, ambitious gaming plans last weekend. But I've, I've snuck in a, a few things here and there that we can uh, discuss. But uh, so what, what, have, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I've been kind of in the mood for an RPG again. So I've been dallying. I picked up Torment Tides of Numenera again. That is just such a fantastic game. Like the writing is so top notch. Like I've spent maybe four or five hours playing that game just in the opening city. Because like nice. <laughs> every every two steps there's a mission to take. And it's it's kinda a little over the top. It's just like Yeah, that's where I usually burn out burn out yeah. with those games. Just this let me so walk much. around a bit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyways. I'm such a completionist that I have to talk to every single person and then just get completely fatigued from it. <laughs> right. On the flip side, the writing is so good and the world building is okay. so good. So that, that part of it is satisfying me. And Excellent. I have a couple other games, but but you took a shot. Sure. Well, uh, on the video game front, uh, now that I had finished Elden Ring a couple of weeks ago, I've been able to start picking up a few other smaller indie games that had been building up on the backlog there. I, I, was, I finally finished Tunic, the little Zelda-like puzzle game. It, it's a very old school, sort of Link to the Past style, top-down adventure game, but very quickly reveals itself to be a little more in terms of the puzzling, uh, much more along the lines of, say, Fez or The Witness, that h- halfway through the game you realize, wait, I should be taking notes for this. <laughs> uh, so and by that point, it's it's too late. So you have to go either do a whole lot of backtracking or basically look up the solutions. And I, at that point, didn't have the patience to figure out everything for myself uh, and having a rough weekend, week, so I just basically looked up most of the solutions and powered through that. It was, it was a great little game, like adorable art style and a lot of heart and, and, and it's all went into it, but it's a little bit, the, the difficulty is very difficult for what it is. I would have liked to see, like for the focus on the puzzles, the combat didn't really be anywhere near as difficult as it was. I thought uh, that just ended up being very frustrating uh, in a very sort of dark soulsy kind of way. It's a sign of the times. Um, Yes, yeah. Well, there there is like the, the whole Dark Souls mechanic, where where you if you die, you leave a ghost and lose some of the currency, like only a little bit of currency. Very token gesture towards that Dark Souls mechanic, which just felt felt so unnecessary, to be honest. Yeah, roguelite uh, is the flavor of the last few years for sure. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's definitely worth taking a look. My my uh, my daughter loves play uh, with the, the cute little fox character, at least. So and that, that, that's on Game Pass as well. So what worth taking a look at least and see if you get on with it. I continued to play 999 the of the Nonary games. That's the first 999 game. I, oh, I the guess the visual novel thing? The visual novel okay. slash escape game Arama, which is, you know, right <laughs> up my alley. It's a very anime style story, cool sort of pseudo historical plot. It, it's totally fictional, but it has uh, touches upon like history and conspiracy theories in, in a cool way, not a creepy way. <laughs> and I'm uh, really enjoying that. I did finish it once. 
it's a game that you can only 100% if you complete all of the six endings or so. I've got one of the bad right. endings, so I'm going to keep playing. <laughs> but um, it's how long is the playthrough? Not very long, like maybe like okay. six six hours. Uh, and you know, you can progressively get faster as you go along because you're only completing with the, the text. Yeah. yeah, so it's probably like a 20 hour game if you're a completionist. But okay. you know, you can enjoy as much or as little as you like. <laughs> uh, so there's that, which I'll definitely go back to. And then I just booted up Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which I'd kind of been cooling my heels on. I would played the original trilogy back in the day. And, you know, I just felt like, hey, I can get to this whenever. But I just kind of told myself, why not? You know, why not see? <laughs> why not see how this old gem looks and plays? And uh, it looks, you know, not mind blowing, obviously, Mass Effect 1. But uh, I just played the first 20 minutes so there's probably lots of good stuff yet to come <laughs> so you're replaying the first one oh i'm gonna play all three okay okay yeah i i, I played this the first one a couple of times including when it, when it first dropped i played the, the um the, the original game two i just kept bouncing off of and again again for similar reasons as torment it's just ha- there was just so much going on with the uh side missions and the scanning planets for resources and exploring the citadel that I just can't help myself. I have to be completionist. And then I just yeah, get fatigued and wander off to some, some other game inevitably. But I, I'm, I'm still very curious to check out number three. Uh, is there anyone I haven't played at all? And I'm, I'm not that invested enough to get upset about the the ending or anything. And now that there's a big bundle with all of the uh, DLC, it uh, might be worth taking a look at that. So, uh, yeah, I'm keen to, to check that out sometime. I'm not a super completionist. Uh, I, I enjoy getting into the weeds when it when it's worth it, when when it's captured me. But uh, I'm hoping to just streamline through the three in fairly short succession before you know the game leaves Game Pass, which could happen anytime, right? So true. Gonna burn yeah. through it. How about yourself? Any other titles you've been enjoying? Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about a couple of board games since we're talking video games today, mostly, but. It's been a weird couple of weeks, but I did manage to get to a neighbor's place to play. Uh, they had a night for some party games or games with like larger play accounts, basically. Uh, so I took along a few offerings and we ended up playing Medium, a game I'd sort of picked up during the, oh, yeah. the, the lockdown and I've been sitting on my shelf for a while. Uh, another one of those word association puzzle games. You have teams, you... It's a, yeah, another, another remix on the whole word association thing. Like you got yeah, code names. I can picture crypto. the artwork. There's like a, gate, <laughs> a dial or a gauge or something very prominently. No, it's a crystal ball. This one. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of something uh, else. <laughs> so this is. Like, I love code names, but it does require a little bit of an explanation and setup to, to actually go through the rules. Whereas this is extremely simple to teach you can teach it in like a minute basically and just demonstrating so you you sit around a table you can have any number of players basically and you'll play a card with an, you have a hand of, of cards with have a single word on it you play one down and your neighbor to your left will play another word with the card so now you've got two words two cards with a, with words on them you're trying to think of a word that connects those two words and basically you say you say three two one you both say a word and if it's the same word, you get points. So you're basically trying to, to sync up that. And it's, it's, it's super easy to demonstrate and, and, and get playing very quickly. But the cool thing is it's a team-based sort of party game. But similar to something like 
between two cities, you actually have distinct teams with both with the partners on either side of you, either side of you. So you, you're in a team with the person on your left, you're in a team with the person on your right, that, and you both you have distinct scores separately. So it, it can play, you can play it with like an odd number of people or just like three or four people, unlike most of these big word party games. So it, it's really flexible in that sense. And I, I had a lot of fun. You can make it as, as raunchy or tame as you want, unlike something like uh, Cards Against Humanity, which is very much uh, t- tilted in, 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 one, in one particular direction. But yeah, I, I, I had a lot of fun with that. On the very other end of the spectrum, uh, I had a big Kickstarter arrive last week. That is Burn Cycle, the big new game from Chip Theory Games, who uh, who made uh, one of my all-time favorites, Too Many Bones. And so this is their big new IP. And whereas Too Many Bones was this sort of, it was like a fantasy exploration game, but it was very much abstracted. The tactics were just on a grid. This is actually like a map layout. You have... A floor, a floor, a floor plane of an office. Basically, you're playing robots sneaking into this facility to try and hack the, the mega corporation in the in the far future. Uh, but you actually have a layout that you're moving between, and it's very much unlike most dungeon crawlers. It's very much focused on stealth and awareness. So all the guards wandering around have a an awareness range both directly in front of them and lesser on their peripheries that you're trying to skirt around and manipulate. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Reminds you of a lot of. A, some stealth video games and reminds me that I really need to play invisible ink. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of what I imagine that game is at least, but yeah, if you you've got like a little digital mini game on the side that plays very much like Pac-Man almost sort of chasing little IP, you've got these IP pegs that you're circling around chasing enemy pegs. So yeah, it's a lot, a lot going on. It's a bit of a, a slog to get through the first game. The rules are at least much more laid out compared to like too many bones they've, they've done a big step up in the readability of the rules this time around but i'm having a lot of fun so far i've played it both one and two and, it, and it's uh yeah having a great time listening to you i realize how out of touch i am with kickstarter <laughs> and any new board game knowledge whatsoever i i, I leave that entirely in in your hands to to manage which ones of these new titles are coming out. <laughs> the game I was thinking of, though, was called uh, Wavelength. When you said medium, it just oh, kind of reminded oh, me. Oh, yes, I know that one. Yes, yeah. So that one's more along the lines of, is something more of a, a sandwich or more of a, a hamburger and a, 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 on a spectrum? You're measuring something on a spectrum and trying to sync up with team members, I guess, whereas this is word association between team members. Yeah, right. a, a similar concept, yeah. Yeah, man, it's it's amazing how there's really no ends to word games. You know, people will just play those <laughs> until the end of time. Oh yeah, hey, yeah. I'm surprised how many remixes on that concept they're they're coming out with. But uh, yeah, this one this one I was impre- medium. I was impressed with partly for the flexibility in player count. I think which makes a big deal, a big difference in actually getting it to the table. Very cool. So, what do you think, Daniel? Should we start talking about the main event? Yeah, let's get to it. Okay, so our featured game for this episode, we're going back to the the digital arena, looking at a video game. Just uh, a very very recent release, that is Norco. Uh, It's on PC only, uh, and developed by Geography of Robots, I I believe their first game. 
Yeah, it's it's from the publisher Raw Fury, which should be familiar to lots of our audience if they also love weird ass indie games, as we've been talking about on Game Pass, among others. And it was released really recently. Like this might be the fastest turnaround we've done. It was released in March <laughs> of 2022. Yeah, so perfect turnaround there. I should mention it is on Game Pass. It, it launched directly on there. So yeah, easy, easy to, to check it out and play along if you if you want to uh, compare your thoughts. Now, what kind of game is this, Daniel? Well, it's a pretty classic point-and-click adventure game. I don't know what your history is with those. I, I don't really have much nostalgia for point-and-click. I was mostly a console gamer in my early years, and by the time I got into PC games, the sort of time had passed. And I've tried to go back a few times. Uh, I played some like Grim Fandango and like Monkey Island and a few of the classics, but I, I generally bounced off the the very obtuse type of puzzle solving involved in those games, even some of the more modern ones. <laughs> My experience is actually pretty solidly right in the point and click adventure game uh, era. Monkey Island, uh, Lucas Arts games like uh, Maniac Mansion were definitely some of my fondest memories or some of my most um, vivid memories from my early PC gaming days. I would say I was definitely in the age to be captivated by them, but not nearly as knowledgeable or as successful at them as a proper adult probably would have been. (laughs) I'm reminded of Sierra, another defunct publisher from back in the day in the King's Quest series. Uh, There was so many game series that were point-and-click graphical adventures, as we called them, that just ha- left an indelible mark in my brain. And yeah, those are some of my earliest and fondest game memories. So yeah, I'm, I'm right in there with point-and-click adventures. Excellent. I mean, that, that is to say that this game does rely on a fair bit of nostalgia, both in the gameplay and the aesthetic, uh, which I, I don't have much nostalgia for that particular genre to be honest but yeah uh, it's it's nostalgia but it's also forward-looking because it's a it's a speculative fiction sort of cyberpunk-ish game isn't it it's really hard to nail down in genre i've gone through like five different sort of categorizations from like science fiction dystopia cyberpunk magic realism a lot of different it touches on a lot of different genres. It's really hard to nail down any just one. It's it's very slippery in that sense. It's mysterious in, in the best sort of ways because of those blends. And it even mixes together different retro art styles. Like there's quite prominently a sequence. There's an optional one. And then there's one that you, is mandatory that involves vector art. So if you can imagine the the old, you know, turtle game on the old apple II or whatever of the black <laughs> background and the green vector lines mm. very prominent in one of the scenes which we'll talk about in a bit so it blends you know even more than one a uh, retro style which was uh you know tug- tugged at my heartstrings certainly i don't know if you noticed there is a there's, there's a crt filter that you can toggle on i only noticed that like halfway through the game that helps a little bit sort of get into the vibe of, of that what, what it's going for in the nostalgia i guess so I, I, turned, I turned that on for the latter half i don't usually mess with that stuff too much but i did use it for a game called uh loop hero if, if you know oh, that yes. one it's got I've a very it yet, but, uh, it's got a very retro style too excellent 
Okay, well, maybe we should talk a little bit about the story and try at least try and nail down a part of it. <laughs> I'm game. It's so it's set in the the very real city of Norco, Louisiana, on the outskirts of New Orleans. I mean, I don't know what the the year it's taking place is. It's, it's very much not the Roman calendar. It's, it's like the, the it's in the year three X four D or something along those lines. Yeah, I it very much a cool touch. <laughs> it very much feels like an alternate timeline as opposed to a future. Most most of what we see could very much be our current reality, other than the fact that there are robots and ver- you can digitize a version of your consciousness to go onto the internet. Other than that, though, it's, it's pretty, pretty modern sort of story. I remarked upon that fairly early on is when I started playing this game, nothing about the first few minutes of this game will make you think it's set in anything except the present day. Maybe because the ho- the house that you start in and the you know level of technology around most of it is fairly mundane. Yeah, your house looks like any other house from today, like with the regular TV and the broken down car out back, other than the fact that there's a robot there repairing this car. Right. It all feels very, very normal. <laughs> yeah, basically the early section, you know, until you, you meet the robot who becomes a character, feeling lukewarm on this game, nothing was really capturing me about it. I guess you could say it was a slow burn starting up and and really once i saw the robot it's like oh this is slightly different million is the character's name uh who joins your party at some point there's different party members you start as a a fairly mundane person as well uh, uh a young woman named Kay. i guess the story starts off as you've been out in the world doing a range of things and i think it even gives you a little bit of choice as to what types of things you were doing to sort of ground you in this world. But basically you've been called back to your hometown, Norco, because of a family tragedy. And that's going to play a pretty uh, important part in the story thereafter. So you're, you're really going to have to solve a mystery right from the get go. Yeah. So you you come back to, you come back to your hometown, uh, your, your, your family home. It's very much seemingly abandoned other than, million this robot your brother's missing your mother's dead and you're trying to figure out where everyone is and piece your life back together it's hard to spoil where you go from there but there is there is largely a mystery vibe you starts out as like a classic mystery trying to find a, a missing person and then sort of snowballs from there as there's a much bigger story and Mega corporation conspiracies and maybe aliens, maybe God, maybe all, all kinds of things start rolling into this story. There's so many aspects of this game <laughs> that just made me want to shout out, yes, yes, you went there. That's so great. So many things that I thought were very, very brave. But you're right. It's, it's, it's hard to encapsulate the true weirdness that this game barely contains and it's fairly polished looking package it it looks great for the retro stylings the music is really fantastic and the the sound design is really effective it puts you in a, a place you know the even from the opening menu you have this kind of oppressive looking night vista of oil refineries or fuel refineries in the distance and you have some crows cawing in the background and it's 
it's dark and it just kind of puts you right there as does the various backdrops when you're visiting from section to section, various parts of the town that you travel through via, um, I think you have a motorbike and you have a pickup truck at some point. This game is interesting because it, it, you jump from perspectives between characters. Yeah, there's actually two, so there's two playable characters happening going on at two different time periods. Although even that, towards the end, I... I felt like there was the, the the timelines were really blending together. There, it's a game that it's, it's really hard to nail down what's real and what's metaphorical, magical, and even so, the, the personal story that you're experiencing is very hard to to nail down. But the sense of place, as you said, is is very strong. It, it is very much. I wouldn't say a love letter to this town because there's obviously a lot of anxieties and issues. Like there's a lot of sadness in this town, basically. But there's a lot of uh, melancholy fondness for this particular place. It's pretty clear from the start that you're the main protagonist, the first protagonist, Kay, is not very fond of this place or is likely not fond of this place. That's why she went away, became estranged from her brother and, and surviving mother. Her father is not in the picture for a reason you'll discover. And you know that there's some sort of unresolved issues between the the mother and the daughter. And it turns out that at some point, you flip perspectives. And then who do you play as? You play as that mother herself before Mm -hmm. she dies, earlier in the timeline. And then you kind of have this dueling timelines playing within roughly the same area. So as Kay is unraveling the mystery of what her mother has been up to you're on another investigative mission as Catherine, Catherine mm, Madere, yes. the mother Madere. Nice pun there. <laughs> and I think Catherine is the more well-defined character because Kay, you're sort of, you're sort of a blank slate. You're a cipher. Actually, literally doesn't have a face. <laughs> right. You don't have a face. Strangely, your brother doesn't have a face, but Catherine does. I, w- I wonder what that says about the, design but Catherine is definitely a character fascinating background it's not just a mother to two kids and a widow but was uh, something of a academic or at least an investigator at some point in her life and she's trying to resolve this mystery of her own so a mystery within a mystery yeah no I I, I, did, I did like Catherine's story that's where you really see some of the like she's discovered something out in the swamp basically that is it like you don't know if it's magical or or alien or what what is is going on with with this artifact it's all very mystical and vague and and escapes definition but the the, i think the characters you meet in in catherine's segment are pretty strong it was also interesting you actually meet the same characters from both perspectives and get a little bit more Having those multiple perspectives of the same characters uh, adds a, a little more depth there as well. Right. So it is sometimes make it hard to nail down. Again, you don't know. It's hard to remember who was who exactly in what context. And like, so timelines are jumping around so much, and they are a little bit muddied at times, almost right. deliberately. I don't know if you watched the TV show uh, of The Witcher on, on Netflix. Did you no. watch that at all? Well, that TV show does an interesting thing: is that there's these characters that you know from possibly having played the video games that these characters are are supposed to know each other 
they're supposed to meet up. But all throughout the first season, the characters don't know each other and they sort of <laughs> pass each other by and the story is told intercutting between them. But only by the end of the first season do you realize that the characters are are totally in different time frames mm, and okay. that scenes that you thought were happening concurrently actually happened 50 years before this other character was born. So it reminded me of that. This game reminded me of that, of jumping back and forth between different time frames and seeing different aspects of characters based on who it is that's approaching them. In fact, I felt a little bit of whiplash on a more than one occasion of finding one of those familiar characters and saying, Hey, you know, let's, let's talk because at that point I felt like I had a relationship with this character. Or you forget who you're playing as. It's all kind of blurred together. Cause you, you, you have the same phone. I swear. I don't, I don't know exactly how oh, that came to I, be. I actually like how that worked out. Yeah. I don't think there's ever an explanation as to why Kay is using her mother's phone, but there is like, if you save something on this phone as Catherine, it'll it'll be in Kay's phone as well oh it's because it's, that's, that's it's part of Catherine's effects it's part of her um your her belongings that right. that was you know collected after her death right so of course she would have that at some point but i think you only really as Kay, you only really get Catherine's phone quite a bit later in the game or or maybe right. maybe i just i did yeah i mean it, again it, like that whole uh, blending timelines in, in other shows, it, it's used almost like a, a twist. Aha, gotcha, a bit of a gotcha moment. Oh, you thought they were happening at the same time, but it's not. Whereas here, it's, 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 it's there's no there's no gotcha. It's all just this one oily distortion of reality. It all it adds to this general unease. You don't know what's real or when. There's, it relies on some dream sequences and a lot of visions. And especially towards the end, like the whole what, what's literal and metaphorical and figurative all sort of blurs together a lot more. You're right. This game has a sort of an arc. Technically, it's told over three acts, but I really feel like it's more of like a five or a seven act story because that's how many times you jump back and forth between the characters. And, and that's mm. really like the biggest pivotal points that the game has. The first segment the first chapter is very mundane and very grounded in reality as you might imagine it's sort of like you're alice in wonderland walking through the looking glass <laughs> you're mundane and entering that world and it gets progressively more and more absurd and metaphysical as you go along until the end you're literally going into the stratosphere uh, <laughs> without giving too much away oh, for, so how strange, that. Okay. for how strange the world is <laughs> how, how strange this plot is but I wanted to kind of touch upon that whiplash feeling again because I really felt that the game's pacing was quite uneven except mm. for those pivot points I was really not captivated in that first chapter, I was going to text you and say, I'm not really feeling this game <laughs> until right about till the end of the first chapter where, but you've met million at that point, And then you start going out to find your mother and brother or what happened to them. And then it swaps you to the other character. And then I was like, what, what just happened? <laughs> I, I wasn't prepared for that weird twist. And then you do totally different things and you touch upon different 
subjects once you step into Catherine's feet. For instance, Kay starts off very much in this kind of suburban, very small town world. And then Catherine, you start right in the Latin Quarter, right? New Orleans, right? New Orleans. And that, yeah. that has a totally different vibe. The types of characters you run into are totally different. And the stakes are totally different. Like you have these, I guess you could call them, what are they, like Fiverr slash... Oh, it's like t- Task Rabbit or something, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you, you're a Task Rabbit. You're a, a Fiverr. Uh, Super Duck. That's it. Super Duck. It's, it's like a Task Rabbit gig economy. Exactly, <laughs> like, which is another depressing commentary on the on the state of the world that this woman who's literally dying is doing task rabbit jobs to survive to the next day. Earning bitcoins, no less. <laughs> uh, quack coins or something like that. <laughs> so really great twist there. It's it's story, it's world building, it's mechanical. It's all woven together in, into telling this totally different story. But even that when you switch to Catherine, even in that section, which was very visually different and interesting, you still fall into these traps. You know, you're looking at these static backgrounds, you're moving your cursor around the screen. Pixel hunting is the word we Mm. used to use for these graphical adventure games where it's just like spamming the game, right? (laughs) Because you're just trying to look for something that will trigger your cursor to change, which will give you the solution to advanced it does pop up a pretty big sort of icon when it's something you can interact with but you do you need to basically paint across the whole screen trying to am i, am I missing anything yeah i exactly. really would have liked this to have a button like hold down tab and it'll highlight everything i can interact with maybe i'm going insane but i i believe <laughs> there is a button that will highlight inter- interactive ah. points but nonetheless i was playing old school just to tor- torture <laughs> myself, I guess. And what I'm trying to say here is that my attention and my passion into the game it, it lulled mm. in the middle of those chapters. And it only really picked up at the end of the episode, if you want to call it that, like a like a Netflix show. It ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> and the next chapter ended on a cliffhanger. And then as the game proceeded they're revealing a little bit more of the mystery and sucking you deeper and deeper and deeper down this narrative well until i was hooked i'll just say it this story really got me each time some out of left field character or revelation comes out i was just sucked in and my i don't know desire to find some something truly truly novel (laughs) in a game gets activated you really have to just be willing to go along for the ride here. Don't try and understand it. Don't try and wrangle it and, and tame the story. Just experience it. It's not always easy to do. There are like there are a lot of characters and and factions going on here. And one one thing I did like is that when you're playing as K, you have this mind map. Yeah, it's basically a a list of the various characters and and concepts in the game. You, like you can hover over. It's it's, it's like a, an a glossary base almost but more visually presented in a more visually interesting way you, you can click on a, a portrait and it will tell you what you know or you can think or reminisce about a particular character and just add some sort of inner monologue of k but because that's very much 
Kay's perspective. Unfortunately, you don't have that when you're playing as Catherine. Yeah, I thought it was a very strange that Catherine didn't have the mind map, but then I realized that Catherine's, you know, gameplay device, if you want to call it that, is a literal device, is, is her smartphone. Uh, mm. So Catherine has a smartphone. Kay doesn't. Kay started with the mind map. Catherine doesn't. So I think those interface differences gave you as a player a sense of you're playing someone else. Yes. You're stepping into someone else's shoes. You have a different viewpoint of the world. So Kay's mind maps kind of becomes like the, the cipher by which you view the world as you discover more characters and as you connect more points basically it's only characters it's not it's characters or i guess entities you could call it that right yeah there's, there's no just straight up factual information that it's more like well, like super duck is one and i think the the shield oil company is one or something right like that, right the, the and, and entities <laughs> that some have some sort of power relationship are all woven together like they're all mind map they're like mm. a portrait and they're connected by lines so for instance everyone in Kay's family herself mother father brother are tightly knit together and then they branch off and connect to this person or that organization or things and i liked it how you certainly unlocked more portraits as you went along but also you learned more facts about characters that you you knew or you thought you knew like I didn't know that this character knew this character for this reason. (laughs) Or there's still some mysteries, like things that they didn't outright spell it out. Like how did Kay's dad, how did he leave the picture? They don't reveal it right away. A lot of it's not really spelled out. I'm not sure how much I may have missed inside conversations. But yeah, a lot of those relationships are are fake. Playing with memory a lot. I remember there's a moment where one, one of the, side characters you interact with is your sort of family friend duck and you're told well you you remember where duck lives right it's like well no I, I, i've completely forgotten and like, I, I think it fills in as you sort of rejog your memory at that point like the memory, information you have but haven't unlocked yet and so yeah information is very slippery and, and like mem- playing with memory and that's part of the gameplay too right is is perhaps i don't know but i have a suspicion that some of those events that happened in the past, you actually designate as you're choosing. Oh, you know, how did did dad die? Because, you know, dad blue is his name dies, but I think they give you a choice. If I recall correctly, there's a few times where you have a choice. I don't know that much of it has much effect on the story. A little bit like in the very opening, I, I, as you, as you mentioned, you can fill out sort of K's background or you, like, you might interact with with um, an item, and it'll give you the option to 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 look at it, or to to pray at it, or uh, like, a little bit of agency in in how K acts, but not much to to direct the actual story flow. Yeah, I think it's more personal character building. Yeah, as opposed to you know branching down a narrative path. I, I think it does a little bit of that. But you're right, most of the story is quite linear, especially earlier. I would say that the branching, uh, there's very little except right at the beginning. You know, it's fresh in my mind, kind of like that Mass Effect choice, right? Are you a 
colonist or are you a spacer or <laughs> are you a war hero or something like that but there's no will you save character a or b <laughs> no no this character dies this character doesn't die <laughs> no there's not much of that from what i saw but there are some kind of cool things that uh, i discovered near the end which <laughs> i don't want to spoil i'm tempted to spoil but maybe we can talk after this and see well, there how are many a of those. couple of puzzles that have multiple ways to solve like there's a very early one so it's not a big spoiler that you can choose to fight someone or go and collect something for them so that you can, you can approach that multiple ways and again i don't know if that has much effect later on other than defining who this character is for you and that's something i struggle with a bit too is that there is a lot of side in, sort of weird interactions you can have with characters that like generally they'll, they'll pop an achievement it's some, some you you'll right you, you can interact in 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 very strange ways that, that will give you an achievement but it feels very out of character to do so and so i, I yeah. always struggled with actually taking those options uh they, they always felt very you had to go above and beyond and do something very over the top to activate these these weird little side vignettes like, i don't know if you if you did you pat the cat for example <laughs> I, I pat the cat in a minimal way. I patted the cat a lot. <laughs> right. Way. Yeah, I did not. So and like, my lesson. <laughs> right. So there was certainly some interesting, fun choices that I, I ended up taking. And in I guess it depends on your state of mind, right? Like how you approach this game. Because the game becomes so absurd at some point. Different point for different people, I suppose. That... I think you kind of you you'd be forgiven for going with the absurdity and making some mm. absurd choices. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I, I I mean, I was very much role playing as K and trying to stay grounded. So, so, I mean, some people play these games just to poke at things and see what happens. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm the latter. That's I'm, not really me. <laughs> I'm the kid poking with a stick here. <laughs> so you and I, we probably did see different stuff, but I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like, well, there, there is two endings. I don't know if you know. I saw a couple of different endings. Yeah. Okay. I it's just like I escaped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I escaped too. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I've heard the other. Is, there is one other ending. It's hard to know if it's the. It feels like what the one we had is the good ending, but how you activate it is so strange and unconnected the two endings that i discovered are not that different from each other they're like okay you're still escaping but different people make it out sort of thing oh okay but even there you had to, you had to activate this straight this lineup this series of events that was completely unconnected from what you were going to end up doing you had no idea where this was even going but if you happened to have spoken to this person at this time well, now you have the key to, to unlock the one of the other endings. Yeah. <laughs> just right. a, little, a little strange, but... Yeah, um, maybe it's just the type of games that I've been playing recently, like 999, where, you know, I'm very forgiving of those sorts of things, right? Most of the time when I play a game, I'm just going to choose something. I'm not going to torture myself over how I should have played it one way or another, and I'm not going to look up wikis on how what the, what the optimal way is. I'm just going to go with it. And I'm going to see how it turns out. If I have enough interest after the fact, I'll go back and try those other ways. But this mm. this very last one I'm talking about was just so easy. It was just a quick load. Huh. Okay. And you can tell. Well, here's, yeah, I, I, didn't, I, mean, I guess that's the thing. What you could do is you could poke at these interactions, get the achievement, 
and then quick load. I hadn't even considered that. I was just in the mindset of, no, this is this is what Kay is doing. But here's a, here's a thought. Did you have to look up anything, like, for progression? Huh. Did I have to look up anything? I, uh, like, a website or something? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, did you get stuck? Did you hit any walls in, in like, puzzles or progression at all? I don't think I did. I did. <laughs> Although I did have to backtrack to different parts of the world. I, yeah. I will say that, but not too much. Not too I mean, that's much, pretty no. typical point and click. That like at some point there is this, a lot of backtracking and re- revisiting every location and clicking every character. Is anything different now? Is anything different now? And it, it's not always completely intuitive as to what you should be doing. Like yeah. I think at some point I, I clicked on my phone. At some point an option was locked, and at some point it had been unlocked but I hadn't indicated that was the case now. And so I was revisiting every location and it was in my phone the whole time. Um, I think you have to do that to a degree on these types of games. Yeah. You know, with these sorts of very linear narrative driven games, you sort of have to let your brain marinate on certain (laughs) points. And that's the, that's how these games were back in the day is, you know, there weren't, there weren't 10 games coming out every week. Like you would, get this game it came in a cardboard box and they came usually with like these literal gameplay aids feelies they would call them (laughs) they would be sometimes like a a paper map sometimes they would be like a a acetate gel or something that you would Hmm. put over this uh hashed out text to uh, unlock a secret uh and you there'd be these dials that you would turn that would sort of place you within the world and, and help you resolve the puzzles because that was the only thing that game gave games length. It wasn't deep mm. gameplay, <laughs> right? It was narrative and writing and obtuse puzzles. So <laughs> you were supposed to hit a brick wall. You were supposed to stop playing and you're supposed to think about it while you're at work, chat with your, your pals at the playground or the water cooler and help work out the puzzle together. And sometimes it solutions. <laughs> yeah. This was clearly before the internet. Maybe there were zines or something about this sort of stuff, but you were supposed to stop and you're supposed to think and mull things over. So maybe I still had that tra- <laughs> training built in. I don't know if you know this about me, but one of my previous podcasts was a actual play interactive fiction podcast that's right yeah so we would play a text adventure game live essentially in front of the a microphone and then i would edit it down to some reasonable length of time i would add sound sound effects until it, <laughs> we played it through like a radio play nice so i'm very very familiar with obtuse puzzles <laughs> Fair enough. I, don't, I just don't have much patience these days. But, I mean, to be honest, I don't think there were many actual puzzles in this game. Most of what you would call a puzzle is largely just figuring out who do I need to talk to. There were not that many puzzles, but there were some. And I thought they were pretty lightweight, to be honest. there were. There's a couple were... of things we have to, like, use an item on a particular person or thing. Yeah. And, but, like, that happens so rarely, I, I often forgot that was even a possibility. Yeah, I feel like Kay doesn't, didn't even really have an inventory until the latter half of the game. <laughs> Most of your inventory is, is, is your mind map, right? Because you're, you're collecting information. What this game does have, though, is mini games. What did you think about those? Yeah, there was a couple of them. They almost felt like 
like little inter- interludes or like fables, I guess, that were completely un- unconnected. Well, I'm thinking of one particular, like the puppet show, in right? Particular that was very much just a little tone setting piece. Yeah, that, that was playing with with different forms of visualization, visualizing data. Yeah, that was quite clever. I, I feel like that sequence, which is totally optional, I believe, it mm. was sort of setting the setting the stage excuse the pun for <laughs> some of the visual absurdity and some of the metaphysical things that would happen later in the game. Yeah. Sort of like weird f- folklore and magical realism and things and playing with reality started to seep in through those little interludes. Absolutely. But I, I, was, I was curious I, I to find out the, um, I was listening to a podcast interview with one of the designers who like the, the, the main designer that is whose background is in GIS uh, like geographical information systems, so very much like ma- mapping, right? Um, which which makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of different ways of visualizing location in this game, uh, especially in those segments. There's a few map based mini games. There's one where you're boating. There's one where you're playing with security systems, and there's mm. one. It's not a map based system, but there's kind of like an RPG style combat system, isn't there? Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of the combat system. It felt very weightless and hard to know what you were even doing. Like, was it just signify? Like, were you actually punching someone, or was it just signifying you having like an argument with them? Like, it was, it was basically different. Ca- it was like quick time events, essentially, or like memorizing symbols. Right. It was you know, very. It was, it was very, quite fluffy, but I did yeah. appreciate how. Depending on the character you used, you played a different game, which sort of like yeah. kept you on your toes. And I, I did appreciate that. Well, I didn't even realize that there's, there's one character who apparently has a gun. And if you use him in a, in a fight, all the characters clear out. And it wasn't even clear that's what he was doing. Because the, the combat all feels so weightless. It's, it's really hard to know. It's, it's very abstracted. It's hard to know what. Yeah, it certainly wasn't deep. Having. But I think it was just sort of meant to take you away from the essentially the tone that the rest of the game has, which is pretty slow going. Mm. I think those are supposed to make you put you on your toes as you might feel if you entered a, an actual combat. <laughs> so those, those mini games were diverting, but really the, the heart and soul of this game is that pixel hunting is just the reading, the text, breaking down the narrative and connecting the pieces. And that's not going to appeal to everyone. It's certainly a style of game that's come and gone. I really appreciate this attempt to bring it back. I thought it was really captivating, but um, I'm really just well suited to this type of game. Yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I think it's worth it for the story. I, you, you have to know what you're in for. You, you're not going to have a, a mystery that's going to be spelled out to you. You're right. I really enjoyed the narrative. Uh, it was nothing I was expecting. And really, it would kind of be even off-putting this story and its presentation for some people, but I really liked it. We talked about Alan Wake, right? Uh, Briefly, yeah. Yeah, and that was a a mystery of its own with some psychological and disturbing elements, but it was much more safe Mm. and sort of played straight that some of the twists and turns were pretty predictable in the end. This one... I had no idea where the game was going. I had no idea where the story was going. And for that reason, I was really riveted, really caught up in the story. But I guess you have to be 
willing to go there. You know, for me, games are really about satisfying a mood or a craving that I have. So if I wasn't in that mood or didn't force myself to stick with it, I don't think I would have you know, appreciated what a great game it was in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, one more thing I wanted to mention is that it can be a very depressing game. Yes. It, it, it is a science fiction, but most of the science fiction elements don't really have much impact on the story. I mean, it doesn't really, what, what am I going to say? Like I said, there's, there's, you've got the robots, you've got the sort of digital consciousnesses, but otherwise, like, otherwise there's very much real world analogs. Like this shield mega corporation, the plants that you're sort of infiltrating is basically shell. Yeah, they're the big bad. Uh, there's a lot of climate anxiety and economic anxiety and health like, anxiety. Yeah, medical debt. And that's all very much real. And I think it, it, it goes to say how sometimes the best sort of fantasy and science fiction is a sort of lens to explore the real world. Most of the character beats in this game are very much can very much be happening today, other than the, the digital consciousness. But I, th- I think, interestingly, it's not misery porn like some some games can can lean towards. It's surprisingly very empathetic. Right. Like none of the characters in this game are very likable. They're all most of who you meet are complete douchebags. But the game doesn't. It still remains sort of empathetic and understands why they are like that everyone is kind of grimy and has (laughs) but they're not two-dimensional either like even some of the more caricaturistic characters have hidden depths that get unraveled if you seek them out but there are great pastiches of characters as well some of the bar patrons that you run into (laughs) are pretty humorous and people that are running convenience stores and businesses are also pretty humorous people behind the counters that you run into oh this game has some humor too like really (laughs) laugh out loud stuff there's a particularly absurd sequence uh, where you're sort of trapped in this facility with these oddball kooks and and one of the antagonists is a, a quite a there's a couple of antagonists that are super weirdos as well but i i was loving some of the humor there this game has depth. Like this game has range. I have seen some people complaining that the the language is a little can be a little flowery. Okay. Sort of o- overly wordy, if you know what I mean. Like very poetic, and like you, you have to be in the like you have to be in the mood for that. I think. I think you're right, but I wouldn't say that every character in every sequence was like that. I think there are specific no, no. scenes where they used more poetic language to put you in in a certain place. At other times, there were very terse, lowbrow characterizations, especially around you. <laughs> the detective character, for instance. Lee Blanc. <laughs> right. He has his toilet right next to his desk. <laughs> Pretty crude, right? As crude as you can get. But we discover that he has some depth. And then there's the loner kid that's outside of the facility that they're not letting in. What is his name? Like, Gooch. Gooch. Yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. his characterizations are pretty <laughs> lowbrow and humorous as well, kind of like clerks style. Yeah. Yeah. So but I so think there's a always ra- understanding of it. It's, it's always very empathetic to these characters, even, even no matter what 
level of, of, of douchebag they are. <laughs> right. It always has a little bit of empathy. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Um, and this game has um, had some really good reviews as well. Like I think it's getting like high 80s and 90s mm-hmm. in a lot of uh, media outlets and it's won some awards. Uh, it won the inaugural Tribeca Games Award at the Tribeca Film Festival oh, in 2021. Exactly. So, you know, it's no it's no slouch, essentially. And <laughs> I would say that this game is well worth playing for the eight or ten hours it's going to take you if you're in the mood for a really fascinating world with interesting, colorful characters and a really twisted sense of aesthetics, then I think you will really get something out of this game. Yeah, it's a, it's a really unique blend of genre. As I've said before, it's very hard to nail down, but it's worth, I enjoyed the ride. Who's saying it? We won the 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 award at the the film festival. It does feel a little bit like a, a film in some ways, and I wonder what it would be like as a film without the the interaction. I don't know how much that necessarily adds, but I think the story is still worth experiencing. Uh, there, there's some great character moments and just absurdity and pathos and yeah, <laughs> all, all the emotions. <laughs> I felt the same way at certain points in this game. I felt like uh, this is really heading into pretentious film school terrain. Mm. And um, maybe parts of this story would have been better told as a straight narrative, as a film or a novel even. But, and then other points I was reminded, this is such a great gameplay element that they've woven together as part of the narrative. One thing I'll just say is the audio recorder. Mm-hmm. That mechanism I thought was really clever and it actually had a lot of legs to it, even though it was introduced fairly late in the game. It just yeah. made me approach the story and the dialogue in a totally different way than I have in any one of these graphical adventure games. It could be a little tedious at times, but it was a, a cool concept once you got your head around it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think this this story does deserve to be a game. They did a pretty great job with telling the story in the medium that they chose. Yeah. So I, I definitely, I think we're both pretty uh, keen to, to recommend it. Like I said, it's on game pass throw, throw a coin in the, in the game pass bucket <laughs> or on steam. I imagine. <laughs> That's right. Give us some money, Microsoft. What do you think? Shall we talk about our next board game we're playing? Yes, yeah. Well, uh, why, why don't you tell us what we're playing next week? Uh, well, next episode. <laughs> I love how you're, you're putting it back on me because I think we're still deciding between two games, <laughs> if I recall. Okay, so we kind of teased it before. We are definitely bouncing between two games in the terraforming Mars universe. We are either thinking of playing the Ridge or um, the base game in digital form because it was recently given away uh, on the Epic Game Store, so a lot of people have access to it. Plus, it's a it's a really nice implementation of the base game. Or the newer, more streamlined card game version of it, Ares Expedition, which both of us have physical copies of. We've played on a stream recently, and uh, I think we both enjoy that one as well. Yeah, I think the original game I've, I've only played a couple of times and it's such a beast, especially with all the expansions now. I, I don't have 
time to dig into the full breadth of that game. So I think we'll largely be looking at it through the lens of Ares Expedition, the newer card game sort of condensed version. But with with, with the, taking into account the history of, of the, the original game. Okay, we'll stay tuned for that. Yeah, I don't think we have anything else to shout out. We've, we'll probably have some streams coming up in the next couple of weeks, but we're still figuring out our schedule. Yeah, I've been enjoying joining you for the streams. Uh, I still don't think I can make it all the time, but uh, it's <laughs> it's always nice to have an excuse to play games with you. Well, actually, that, that's something I can shout out, is that I literally just today uploaded a stream of Norco. I, I did a, a, a Twitch stream of my the first 90 minutes or so. So if you want to see my first impressions of the game, you can find that on my YouTube at uh, Board Game Feast. Uh, that would be interesting to watch. Maybe I'll see you make some different gameplay choices than I did. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com. Yeah, tell us which of those optional gameplay achievements you earned. Uh, I have some pretty humorous <laughs> ones to talk about. I'd like to share with you, Daniel, after after the recording. Did you eat the hot dog? <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Until Mark. Until next time. Game on. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>